Welcome to the Actionable Futurist podcast, a show all about the near-term future with practical and actionable advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and actionable futurist, Andrew Grill. My guest today is James Butlin, the Vice President of Financial Partnerships EMEA for Airwillings. He is responsible for supporting efforts to build local operations and processes to scale the business across EMEA. An experienced fintech professional, James has more than a decade's experience working in the financial and tech industry. With expertise across growing business, payments, FX, business relationship management and risk management. Prior to joining Airwallex, he was at WISE, formerly TransferWise, as their European banking lead, where he focused on building out its European banking network. Welcome, James. Thank you. Now, a big topic today, we're going to look at the future of the financial services industry. We've only got 40 minutes, so it's a huge topic. But before we get into that, how would you describe Airwallex? So we're a, a global payments platform. So the ethos around Airwallex is really helping businesses who are, are based locally, whether that be in the UK or Europe or the US, expand internationally. Um, so when we started the, the the platform, it was really about how we enable businesses to them pay out locally in different parts of the world. And now, six years later, we help them collect funds, do the FX in the middle, spend on a, a virtual card. So it's really a, a full stack end-to-end um, finance platform for any business looking to move outside of their domestic market. Now, clearly listeners know that I'm Australian. I know there's an Australian connection here. I was actually at an event at Australia House around fintechs with some of your colleagues in the industry. It's a fascinating story. How did Airwallex get started back in Oz? Airwallex actually started in Melbourne. The real plan around the original product was helping Australian SMEs um, manage their finances, but also expand outside of Australia. Um, I joined back in 2017 as one of the first employees outside of Australia um, to really help bridge that connection between Europe and um, and Australia. But, you know, Australian fintech is, and I mean, just Australian entrepreneurship has grown exponentially in the past five years. So you've got people like uh, Wallach, but then also people like Canva doing very well as well. So it's a real um, tech hub. And um, I think what we found is, it's a great pool of talent, um, a friendly regulator, and it was a, a great place to start the business um, and then sort of push out to the rest of the world. And it proves the model because you're a business that wanted to grow outside of Australia. You land in a different country. There are different regulations around hiring. In a way, I'm sure you're proving your own product by having you and others being able to expand outside that. But where do you fit in the whole fintech ecosystem? It's unfair to say you're just an FX provider. You're so much more, aren't you? If you look at someone who just provides FX, a traditional FX brokerage, they will just get you a, an FX rate, um, but they, they won't give you any more services around that. So our platform gives you um, a local bank account in your home country, um, but in an afternoon, we can give you local bank accounts in five, six, seven different countries all around the world. Um, we can enable you to accept funds locally in different countries, pay out locally in different countries. Um, and then also on top of that, we've built a, an issuing platform so we can give you and your employees cards to, to spend in, in different currencies. And I think what we what we see, um, especially, you know, in, in Asia and the UK and Europe, where we're not, you know, denominated in dollars, a lot of costs are incurred in dollars or foreign currency. 
So we enable our businesses to pay in that local currency rather than paying the home currency, which is usually a lot cheaper. Um, and they could be saving, you know, four or five percent on the FX and uh, 30, 40 pounds on a, on a payment at a time. So it's fair to say the financial services industry is fairly fragmented in various countries and in some would say it's quite broken. What was the gap in the financial services space that caused Airwallex to be started in the first place? Two things. I think one, technology. So technology had advanced to a to a point where you could create these these global platforms um, and, and scale them as well. I think the other big catalyst was 2008, the financial crisis. You know, you, you saw big financial institutions like the RBS and ABN AMRO deal collapse, um, people like City HSBC withdraw from international markets. Um, you know, if you, and if you go back another 10 years um, following September the 11th, um, banks also steered away from doing, you know, cross-border or um, moving money due to the higher KYC um, concentration and the risk of, I guess, fines from the local regulator. Um, so where we saw fit in is we look at that traditional correspondent banking model, which they were pulled out of because it was very expensive and you know very complex. And we just took a fresh look at it and said, okay, if we could build this today with modern technology, how would we connect different institutions in different countries to offer a seamless experience to our clients. You mentioned the 2008 issues. Four years ago, there was the launch of open banking here in the UK and across the EU. I know Australia has its own variant of that. Has that helped you? Because now systems have to be more open. Luckily, you build a technology stack from scratch. Big banks, you mentioned, have all got legacy platforms. Talk to me about how open banking has helped and maybe where it needs to go further and be more responsive to consumer needs. Do consumers understand open banking and do they want to use it? And I think everyone was expecting four years ago to sort of big bang approach when everyone would stop sending bank transfers and start using open banking. And um, it just it just hasn't happened. And I think it's going to be a much slower burn to get consumers to understand the benefits of open banking. At the moment in the industry, there's two things going on. There's this rapid change in technology and innovation with things like open banking. But on the other side, there's this focus from the bigger banks on fraud. And if you send a payment from your bank account, you'll be met with multiple warnings of, you know, are you sure this person's real? Are you sure, you know, these are the right, right account numbers? Things like confirmation of payee, which has come in to validate bank account numbers to provide comfort. But I think a lot of consumers are still very hesitant to try a new technology or service like open banking because they're so concerned with the fraud aspect um, on the other side the messages they're getting from the bank. So I think trust is the cornerstone of what we need to sort of build with these new technologies. Open banking, you know, I use it. It, it works great. It's easier than going in and doing a manual transfer. You can just connect your bank. But for someone who's not not in this industry or doesn't understand what's going on behind the scenes, I guess it can be a bit, a bit disconcerting. So there needs to be a lot more education by the bigger banks around the benefits of open banking without the you know focus on the risk of fraudulent payments. I see them as two separate things. You've developed a banking as a service offering. We hear a lot about these something as a service models. So what is your offering and how does it different from other fintechs in the market? When you look at something as a service, what we are offering our clients is the ability to embed um, financial services into their platform without their clients being redirected to to an air wallet. So we provide the financial infrastructure. So if you're a, a marketplace, for example, you, you move a lot of money around, you know, between accounts, between your clients, to your suppliers, 
Uh, and you can do that via AirWorks. We sit behind the scenes and we will manage all of that uh, cash flow and those international payments for businesses. I think what's really powerful about embedded finance or, or banking as a service is you don't have to move the funds out into a, a bank and then back onto your books. You can actually embed that into your into your own platform. So that really helps with, with a lot of aspects. I mean, price, we, we can do this cheaper than a moving your funds in and out with a traditional bank. Speed, you can do it instantly. So you don't have to wait for funds to arrive you don't have that um, that trust aspect I mentioned earlier of where's my money because um, you know where it is at all times because it's in your, in your platform. Uh, and transparency, you know exactly what you're going to get from both of those price and speed aspects before you d- start moving money around. So that's the real benefit of embedding that is you have full control um, of your finances in your business. I suppose consumers are now getting used to embedded services. So, for example, if I want to buy a ticket on a website, rather than having to go off to the ticketing website, you can now embed an Eventbrite module in there and I never leave the site. I stay on there and I see the brand and I trust that. Part of it is the trust. So if I'm dealing with a company I have a relationship with, rather than having to go to my bank, I just need to trust they're doing things behind the scenes. So where do you come into you know, the security aspects and all those sort of things to make it seamless and allow consumers to trust what they're doing on this site is actually dealing with their bank in a secure way? I think trust really is the cornerstone of any new financial service. And it's not the same as using Deliveroo, right? You know, because you use Deliveroo once you don't like, you're not going to use it again. But you know, when you're moving your money or you're sending your money, it can be, you know, in the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of pounds. So you need to trust that. So there's lots of things we um, we are part of behind the scenes. So we are FCA registered um, directly. So we don't we're not an agent of another company. We are, are directly licensed by the local regulator in the countries we operate. So whether you're dealing with Airworks UK or Airworks Australia, will always be regulated and then your funds will always be safeguarded and segregated we're not like a bank we can't do anything with the funds that our clients send us we can't go lend them out to someone else and then go buy a house all the money you send us we have to hold in a safeguarded pool um, and then more, more broadly when we are sending payments to us or receiving payments we are principal members of of visa and mastercard and the acquiring side we're a principal issuer of um, visa so Using Air Wallex, you have the same uh, connection as you would with a bank, but with the benefit of the money you send us, we're not doing anything with, we're just holding it for you. Sounds like banking of service could be quite complicated. There are lots of moving parts, but can people actually have almost like an a la carte service where I just want this module and as my business grows, I can add more and more and have you do all that in the background? Absolutely, yes. I mean, we would love every client to take every single product we, we offer. But um, as, uh, as as you know, not everyone wants everything. So we have some clients who just want the, the acquiring product. Maybe they have their own website and they just want a payment gateway, which we can give them. Some clients just want to do payouts and um, get a competitive FX rate, which they're not getting from their traditional bank, which which we can give them. So the, the platform is completely... Um, modular in terms of what you take um, and you you don't have to take uh, the whole whole product you can take subsets of that um, and then there's different ways you can interact you can we have a sort of an internet banking platform which we call the web app or you can go direct into our suite of apis so it really depends on the size of your business and what you're looking to to get out of um, the the product so I love one of your taglines that's you don't need a bank to run your business that's a bold statement but what does that mean in practice 
you don't need um, to use a, a bank um, as a standalone institution. You can use Airwallex as a, as a platform. Now, behind Airwallex, you know, we will use banks as well to actually hold those funds, ring fence them, safeguard them. So the benefit of the platform is we have multiple banks all around the world. So you're not using just one institution here on the high street in the UK, um, which has a limited scope of products. And the reason why we've connected all these different banks together is to give the best possible service. So there'll be a bank behind the scenes to, to hold the money and to ring fence them. But you're not being limited by one institution. We're giving you the breadth of multiple institutions in multiple regions around the world. A lot of the services you're providing are disruptive deliberately and the banks are watching probably. How do you think established banks feel about these alternate banking systems? I think if you look at the industry, most of payments are still done by the banks. Um, the banks are our, our partners, so we work with the banks. And the way I see it is we are bringing more volume, more customers to them as well. So it's a mutually beneficial partnership you know they get something out of it we get something out of it um and what we're trying to do is say to that uk business who probably has a bank account at lloyd's or NatWest or barclays use our wallets for your your international spend use us for your card spend uh, it'd be very unlikely that they would get rid of their their standalone bank account and i think that comes down to the disruptive element but also we are trying to help businesses grow so we're not trying to take their um, business away from a traditional um, institution, we're saying we're different from traditional institution, we're here to help you grow and as their volumes grow, um, we'll be part of that growth story. Do you think there's a risk though that a big high street bank will start to offer their own banking as a service proposition to, to compete directly? I think a lot of them have moved into the to the fintech space as well. You know, we saw uh, JP Morgan launch their, their Chase uh, bank app um, a, few, a few weeks ago and I think that's consumer focus at the moment, but over time they will go into to banking as a service. There, um, there are other banks like um, City and HSBC who have more sort of treasury products. But what I would say is it's a very different onboarding experience. So when we're talking to a business, we can have them up and running in a, in an afternoon. Whereas if you if you go to one of the bigger banks and ask for a a treasury product or a um, you know, a global platform, it'll probably take you weeks, if not months, to get set up with them. So it's, it's a different offering, but you're right. I think over time we will see them looking more and more at fintech and saying, what parts of that can we can we take on? And then I think inevitably we will see things like acquisitions happening. Visa's done a lot recently. They bought Currency Cloud and they bought Tink, the open banking provider. So you will see, I think, those bigger institutions either try and compete or acquire um, fintechs to enhance their product offerings. So you've released a report that looks at SME decision makers in the fintech and finance industry across the UK and the US. What do you find when it comes to the challenges they face? Transparency around what they're actually paying, where they're paying it, and just awareness of they don't need to pay pay fees um, all the time. I think the most common thing we we hear from from our SMEs and, and businesses is they're paying you know, fees to send money over to the US or collect money in the US. And what they'll do is they'll go to their, um, their bank and they'll get, be given a US dollar account, but a US dollar account not based in the US. So it doesn't really solve that problem. And 
when we talk to clients and we can say, look, we can give you a US dollar account onshore in the US, you act like a local company without having a local you know, office or, or boots on the ground in your business. Um, so I think price and speed of, of transfers is, is probably the, uh, the, the most important thing we hear. And that's probably our biggest selling point. And what we've seen as we've launched the issuing product on our expense management platform is is that visibility and transparency around what they're spending in the business, who internally is spending it, how to track their finances over over time. I think that coupled with the international pay-ins and payouts is, is a very powerful proposition. But you're right, it's, it's, it's about awareness and really sort of saying to people there's a different way of, of managing your finances. One of the areas I hadn't considered was recruitment and hiring globally. Your report said that just 3% of UK and US fintech and finance SMEs have the infrastructure in place to be able to hire globally. And I suppose that comes down to not just offering someone a job, but actually being able to pay them if you're not there and don't have an office there. So talk to me how the, the hiring, the global hiring is impacted by the lack of services and how you plug that gap. Hiring people globally is is very challenging. I mean, hiring people locally is very challenging. In in the UK, for example, you know, once you work how much to pay people, and then the whole payroll cycle, and a lot of it's still done off off back. So you've got sort of two to three days to to get money out to people. So I think hiring locally is difficult. And then when you move into other countries, you usually need a local bank account to do that because people want to be paid on time, and rightly so. Uh, and then if you're paying from a from a different country, you have the risk that not all the money will arrive. If it's a swift payment, there'll be a haircut along the way, uh, or you don't know when that those funds will land. So with the local bank infrastructure, you know, whether it's hiring or paying rent or, you know, selling for an office, we can get people set up pretty quickly in a, in a new country. And, you know, being, being a friend, I'm sure, you know, you've had to, uh, set the bank account when you you moved um, outside of Australia, and and that can be quite a very difficult um, process, right? You can't do the bank account until you have an address, and you know. So what we're trying to do is give them those tools to set up outside of their home country before they even get boots on the ground, so they have that infrastructure ready for when they arrive. Interesting story. When I moved, there was a deal at the time in Sydney. You actually put some money in a Travelex account. They then opened an HSBC account with a credit card here in London. So we got here, went to the HSBC branch, and it was there waiting. And people that actually were working here for Australian banks said, how did you do that? Unless you have an address, you don't exist. You can't get a mobile phone contract. You can't rent a house and those sort of things. So it is a whole issue. One of the other stats in the report, 18% of respondents believe the lack of the right technology to support a global workforce is a key barrier. And I think now that we've got distributed workforces, you've now got the ability to hire someone that's not within driving distance of the office. And now people are saying we can hire someone in a different country. We're never going to have an office there, but they are the most amazing coder or developer. We just need to have them. Is your platform going to help people expand where they don't have a physical presence, but actually have people working remotely in a distributed way? Because that's the future. That's one of the main drivers around the product is to enable companies now to expand internationally. I mean, we do it ourselves at Airwallex and we use our own products. So we've hired people all over the world. And especially since COVID, you know, we've we've hired people in, in Germany and in France and who, you know, work from home, but they're the best in their field. And it doesn't really matter now where they are. So it's about giving the tools to not only pay those people, but ensure that they have, you know, the ability to if they need an Air Wallet corporate card, we can give them to them um, so they can pay their expenses. So 
absolutely. I think now what we're seeing is businesses aren't held back by national borders. Uh, and that is the reason why the product's there to support businesses in different parts of the world. You recently raised a further $100 million led by Lone Pine Capital and joined by 1835i Ventures, which, interesting, is the venture arm of the Australian New Zealand Banking Corp and Sequoia Capital in China. Some well-known investors in there, and surprisingly, for me at least, the VC arm of a leading Australian bank. Do you think we'll see more smart mainstream banks like the ANZ investing in alternate banking platforms? One of the challenges that mainstream banks have is they're built on legacy infrastructure of, you know, some cases 100, 150 years they've been going for. So they, they've they realized that, you know, the future of technology is moving so fast, they need to invest in, in new platforms and, and new services because it's, it's so difficult to build it in-house. And I think, you know, we talked a bit about um, JP Morgan's new um, uh, app, but also NatWest has a subsidiary called called Metal as well here in the UK. And, and they've built them completely separate from their core bank infrastructure. Um, and when you talk to uh, any big bank, you're going to have a, I, I would say, probably four to five lead time to, to build anything like this. So I think you'll see banks realizing the opportunity in fintech, needing to act fast and not wanting to, to miss out. So you're growing. Are you hiring at the moment? Who are you looking for? And in case they're listening to this podcast, how can they get in touch? The biggest growth areas are probably US, Europe and Singapore. We're, we're looking for anyone with a, a strong interest in, in fintechs and, and payments. Um, our acquiring products still very new. So online payments is very, very topical for us. And then we're looking also really to expand um, local um, business development on the ground in in most regions around the world. So we we do two things. You know, we, we have customers inbound coming to to self serve through the platform, but we also do a lot of outbound and have sort of dedicated um, account managers. So yeah, anyone in that space who's looking for a new challenge, um, it's all there on our website on airwallets.com. Um, you can see our career page and and yeah, we'd love to hear from anyone with a strong interest in fintech payments or wanting to work in the in the future of finance. Almost out of time, but I want to ask you about how you innovate. Obviously, you're a fast-moving business in multiple markets and multiple countries. How do you innovate and develop even better products? I think for us, we're, we're 100% client-driven. So we listen to our clients and understand what their pain points are. And even if they're not asking for a, a product, we listen to their problems and formulate a product to, to try and solve that where we can. I think for us, the... The plan is to always sort of stay ahead of the curve. You know, when I joined Air Wallex, we were a much smaller company, about 20 people globally. We're now 1,300. We do a lot more in terms of volume and have a wider product suite. So when sort of five years ago, we were disrupting the incumbent fintechs, we've got people now snapping our heels trying to disrupt us. So the, uh, the plan is to keep on innovating and building products that our clients really love. I think the good news is a lot of that heavy lift around the infrastructure regulation licensing we've done now. So really it's about we can put all our effort into into the product suite and how we can capture more market share, but also ensure that our current clients um, are sticky and, and like using us. 
So my favorite part of the show, I want to run you through a quick fire round so we learn a bit more about you. iPhone or Android? Android. Window or aisle? Aisle. Online or in the room? In the room. What's the app you use most on your phone? Probably Spotify or Google Maps. The one thing you won't be doing again post-pandemic? Family parties on Zoom. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Nothing lasts forever. What are you reading at the moment? The travel books by Paul Threw, Louis Threw's dad. Um, I'm reading one about his uh, railway journey across Europe and Asia. Who should I invite next onto the podcast? Elon Musk. The second person to say that. If you're listening, the challenge has been put out twice now. I think we'd all like to have Elon on the podcast. So as this is the Actionable Futures podcast, we want to leave our guests with actionable things they should be doing today when it comes to driving new value for businesses around financial platforms and services. Talk to your customers, listen to them, and then make a short, mid and long term plan. I think what I've learned at Airwallex, a lot of things we've done don't seem valuable at the time, but they come good two, three years later. So you need to really have that long term view of your business, listen to your customers and understand what they really want. James, how can people find out more about you and your work? You can find Airwallex on online. You can find us on, on YouTube. Um, you can also um, find me on, on LinkedIn. And um, yes, I've got, you know, um, wealth of information around uh, Airwallex and the platform, which is all on, um, on YouTube. So yeah, look me up on LinkedIn, but also uh, check out our YouTube channel as well. James, what a fantastic discussion today. Thank you so much for your time. Likewise, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Actionable Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at actionablefuturist.com. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops delivered in person or virtually at actionablefuturist.com. Until next time, this has been the Actionable Futurist Podcast.